thank you for joining. I am excited about this episode with Albert Flynn DeSilver. He is an international award-winning author. He's a poet, and I really love the discussion that we have. And first of all, I want to clarify that his name is Albert Flynn DeSilver. You'll hear me introduce him when we start the recording, and I left off his, um, his Flynn, but I wanted to clarify that as we get started here. But yeah, he, we talk a lot about the creative arts in this episode and how, how the arts help us to do a couple of things, not, not just a couple of things. They're actually very functional um, in, in what they provide, but it can help us to really process um, what's happening inside of us um, as well as being a way that we communicate. Um, but it can also be a way that we see reflections of the divine externally. So it can be that we see uh, painting or we read poetry or we hear a song or we see a film or we read a book or something. And through the symbolism and through the, the beauty of what we consume with that, we have a better understanding of the divine or we see reflections of mystical experiences that we've had um, in that work. And so I love, I love um, kind of highlighting that because we can be very much in our minds, especially in the West, and, and Albert and I talk about this, you know, this, the intellectual capacity and how we want to understand, understand things intellectually, but how the arts can go beyond the rational. So um, I, I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you check out his book, Writing as a Path to Awakening. And now let's quickly talk about my amazing sponsors. And again, these are things that I personally use every day. So I encourage you to check them out. There's a sponsors page on my website, karagoodwin.com, and it's got the promo codes for you. And I'll also have links in the show notes. So for those of you who are interested in homeopathic remedies or you want to check them out, you've got to go to Best Made Natural Products. I use these products multiple times a day because the thing with homeopathy is that you benefit the most if you take little doses throughout the day. There are instructions with all the products. It makes it really easy to understand how to use them. You don't have to worry about them because there aren't side effects like with over-the-counter or prescription stuff, um, but you're gonna get the most out of them if you take them three to four times a day. I personally have not studied homeopathy, but the things I've bought from Best Made come with instructions which include which things target which symptoms, and it makes it very easy. So you can get 10% off of Best Made products on my site. I've been using Viore shampoo and conditioner bars for about a year now. I was really drawn to trying them after considering all the plastic I use and the extra water that goes into processing traditional shampoo. And I found Viore and I loved that not only are they helping to reduce plastic and water use, but they're also supporting the indigenous tribal people of Longshin. 
I have found that Viore is not only doing great things to help the environment and humanity, but their products are amazing. I love the way my hair looks, feels, and smells. The products are gentle and help to volumize and strengthen hair and even encourage regrowth. Personally, I love the scent of Terrace Garden. Um, the bars are beautifully designed and even the minimal packaging is unique and gorgeous. If you're interested in podcasting, I highly recommend Libsyn for all of your podcast hosting needs. I've been using Libsyn since the meditation conversation began in 2018. It's easy to use, robust, has great functionality, and it breaks up your stats in many different ways, all at a really affordable price point. You can get up to two free months of podcasting service with code TMC when you sign up for a new account. Get all the details in the show notes and please enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm joined by Albert DeSilver. Albert is an internationally published award-winning writer and TED speaker, and his latest book is Writing as a Path to Awakening. He's served as Marin County, California's very first poet laureate, and his work has appeared in more than 100 literary journals worldwide. So what a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for being here. That's a total delight. Thank you for having me. So let's start by talking about your your journey in general and, and what led you to finding writing as your path to awakening. Oh, geez. <laughs> in whatever way. It's a long speak. story. Yeah. I wrote a whole memoir about it <laughs> called yeah. Beamish Boy, which people can find. But um, yeah, so I guess, um, let's see, the, the short version, um, you know, I, I grew up in a very tumultuous household, had um, alcoholic mother, sort of disconnected father, there was abuse. Um, and though there were lots of, of sort of physical comforts and a lot of privilege, uh, there was not a lot of love and spiritual comforts and connections. And so I was very much lost and kind of in my, you know, following my, my mother's path of alcoholism from a young age mm -hmm. and um, got into a lot of trouble, um, you know, at age 22, after many challenges and issues, I found myself handcuffed to a hospital bed and oh my goodness. under arrest and um, with no idea how I got there. And oh, wow. so but I was alive, which was kind of a miracle since that was not my first um, hospitalization. Wow. And so I sort of, at that time, was just realized, like, you know, I wasn't going to get a second chance or a third chance for that matter. And so I, at that just kind of set me on this path of, of um, well, really waking up, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. It, it took a while. I... Um, I stayed, that was in Boulder, Colorado in um, 1991. I stayed there for another year or two. And then I somehow got myself into graduate school at the Art Institute in San Francisco, um, which was a weird miracle. <laughs> but um, uh, off I went, you know, avoiding reality of working life and um, 
And then there was a, a, a night before I graduated that I, I just love telling the story of, of um, being sent to, I was in a photography program, but I, everyone at the Art Institute at that time had to take Bill Berkson's art history class. And Bill was not only an art historian, he was also a writer and a poet. And he, one night I ran into him in the photo lab or something in the hallway. And he was like, hey, there's this poetry reading down at the Cal Theater. You should come check it out. And I was like, eh, not really my thing. But he's like, well, I'm going to be reading. There'll be some other people. I was like, okay, I don't have anything going on. I'll just go check it out. And so I go to this reading and it turns out it's the release party for the Norton Anthology of Postmodern American Poetry. It's like this huge deal. It was an all-star cast. And I was just like, wow, what is this? You know, it's just totally different than my little world of photography that I have been in. And, um, you know, I just heard people sharing all kinds of amazing uh, experiences, ideas, philosophies, um, spiritual concepts, whatever, uh, that night. And um, one of the 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 lines and the phrases that had the most impact on me was was actually from the introduction, quoting one of these long dead poets who's actually in the anthology, but this this guy named Jack Spicer. He wrote this piece called Imaginary Elegies. And in that piece, there's a section where he says, um, unbind the dreamers, poet be like God. <laughs> and I was just like, what? That was the coolest <laughs> thing I'd ever heard. And uh, so I was like, I want to do that. You know, this photography thing is cool, but there's something about words and language. Like you could be a seer, you could be like God, but I didn't really know what God meant, honestly. It was this sort of abstract notion at the time, but there was spirit behind it, right? There was energy behind it. And I started writing from that very night. And then I just, a couple of years later, I discovered the California Poets in the Schools program and working with kids. And, you know, I just kept writing into, you know, I got all the books from the library and just set off on this path, basically. And um, and then eventually I, you know, met Jack Cornfield for the first time. And, wow. um, and then that, and then he was reading poetry. The first time I showed up at Spirit Rock for a, a sitting, um, he was reading poetry. Most of the evening he was quoting, you know, Mary Oliver and Rumi and Hafiz and all these poets. And I was just like, oh, there's the intersection oh. between heart, um, loving kindness, awakening, healing. Yeah. Thank you for taking us through that. And I, I want to dive more into the way that creativity is is used as this expression of this higher part of, of where we are. Before we get to that, though, what about the awakening part? I'm curious about, about that piece of it. And you've talked about the intersection, but I imagine there's been an awakening piece that's out, like it's kind of beyond the writing part. Do you want to share anything about that? Yeah. So, I mean, it really started that, that night I was sort of 26 or seven, I think the first time I, I went there to Spirit Rock and then I just started getting into it. I was like, oh, this is really interesting, you know? And um, so I started attending the Monday night thing and then going to day long, uh, weekend retreats and day long retreats. And, and then just expanded out. I started studying with his um, Jack Cornfield's teacher, this guy named Ajahn Jumnian, who's a Thai forest master and really interesting 
just presence. Um, I didn't understand anything that he was saying because he spoke only Thai, Uh but he just had this energy and spirit about him that was kind of mind blowing, really. You know, it's like, what is that? You know, what is that state of happiness, that state of joy? I mean, you know, I was so internally focused and wrapped up in my own story and my own shit that I couldn't really, I really couldn't embody life in a, in a, a true way. And I saw this, this, you know, alien creature from Thailand <laughs> who was just totally joyful for no reason. You know? it, it just, it set me off on just that journey. And, and I just kept going and practicing the meditation in the same way that I was practicing the writing, you know, just kind of consistency little bit at a time, one breath at a time, one line at a time, one word. Um, mm-hmm. What is it? Margaret Atwood says that a word after a word after a word is power. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like a breath after a breath after a breath is power. You know, it's yeah. spiritual power. It's creative power um, together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I know um, that in my, you know, as I was, was preparing for our time together, you said something, I heard something about a um, time where you were doing therapy in your younger years, but it, you, it was kind of like a, some sort of cult <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. And you ended up like tied to a tree or. Yes. Yes. That so wasn't I, really around the spiritual, I guess. Well, no. And if, in fact, it was, um, I refer to it as a, as a um, psychedelic therapy cult. Because it was, you know, yeah. now it's very, you know, it's sort of hip to with the whole microdosing and the psychedelics uh-huh. um, being integrated in a therapeutic um, practice. But this was in the 90s, you know, just sort of like the whole another generation. You could go back to, you know, the 1950s and 60s with Timothy Leary and all of that experimentation. Mm-hmm. But anyways, there we were in the 90s and it was... Um, you know, the the cult piece of it was really that it wasn't held professionally. Um, it wasn't held with, with safe boundaries. Um, there was a lot of improprieties. There were sexual boundaries and misconduct. Um, and, and so, but spiritual, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like I went to definitely like went to places like total outer space experiences, like super amazing frightening, terrifying, but also awesome, awe-inspiring in the truest sense of that word, mm-hmm. um, and very much wove into the spirituality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of um, intersection between the psychedelic movement of the 50s and 60s and the meditation, the growth of Eastern philosophy and meditation in the West. And right. um, so that intersection was sort of echoing out throughout the 90s and continues on. Yeah. And so it was very much a part of my waking up. And even though there was a lot of sort of rehashed trauma in that experience, you know, of of um, of being um, let down and uh, basically betrayed by my my teachers, um, it was it was a hard thing to reconcile. Like, yes, I was betrayed, and yes, I was angry, and yes, I was. Um, super bewildered, but also there was a lot of teaching that came out of that. 
Yeah. I do think there was a fair amount of love too and, and intention, but you know, it turns out the, the weird thing for me, it was like, Oh, here are these PhDs and MFTT, whatever, you know, <laughs> these experienced people with all these letters behind their name. And they, I, st- I got to this point in the, in the practice where it was like, way I have my shit together more than they do. Yeah. And I feel like a pretty wounded little critter, you know? So yeah. that was kind of like when I knew I had to move on from there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it seems like it was an important step on your journey and luckily you didn't, you know, make a fort there. <laughs> yes. But I attribute going, you know, kind of going really into the meditation piece and and finding another therapist who was really great yeah. and had good boundaries and all of that. Yeah, so. good, good. And what I love so much about your your work as a writer is this this way of expressing, particularly with poetry, um, where you can express things that are ineffable. So experiences like what you were just talking about where you find yourself in outer space or you find yourself in the palm of God's hand or whatever, you know, it is where you're like, I, okay, my logical mind can't reconcile what I've experienced, but there are like whispers of it in creative works, you know, like there can be, you can look at a painting and see like beautifully represented something that you can't, that you don't have words for, whether Mm -hmm. it is a mystical experience or if it's, you know, another type of experience, but, you know, a picture can be worth, what is it? A thousand words, probably more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But likewise with poetry, um, you know, again, what I, when I was doing the research for you, you quoted a student's a a child's poem and it ended with something about like the angel witnessing from the corner window, this loom of like witnessing it all or weaving it in a, on a loom of sawdust or something. Yes. Yes. That's it. (laughs) Just like, yes. Oh my gosh. Like that's just, it's just beauty. Um, so I don't know. I don't even know that I have a question there, but just an appreciation for the artists that, that we have here who are like tapping into more and then what they're bringing, particularly, you know, as Westerners where culturally we place such value, you know, in our schooling and things like that on like the really practical things of math and science. And yes, you know, Mm -hmm. not to diminish the, the importance of that, but you know, it can come at an expense of the arts and the deeper I go in my own exploration, my own experiences, the more I see real truth with a capital T reflected in the arts. And it can Mm -hmm. be in poetry. It can be again in a painting. It can be in dance. It can be in so many, you know, in, in film, oh, yeah. um, so many different mediums, but it's like, it's hiding in plain sight. Right. <laughs> you know? No, I just got back from Greece and the whole like experience every day was like an artistic creative experience. You know, yeah. the, the history, the antiquities, the, 
the sculpture, the architecture, the people, the like the landscape. It's just like, yeah, this is this is it. And I think, uh, you know, T.S. Eliot said it maybe not best, but he said it pretty well when he wrote, um, "Poetry is a raid on the inarticulate," <laughs> which <laughs> which I always loved because it's like. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much sums it up, you know. Yeah. Um, I I mean I totally feel that because I can be like, but you know, when I'm like, okay, we'll explain this, and it's but you know, there's a, so much there that I have so much there, but then to like find the the words to try to um, narrow down what I'm, you know, it it can be like, you can feel so constrained by like, I mean, it's kind of like this word kind of does it, but it's not like that's a reach, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Just like now the I'm being rated with inarticulacy. (laughs) Inarticulacy. Well, yeah. So it's, that's, I mean, that's why art, you know, doesn't have to make sense. You know, art doesn't make logical sense. The best art. Yeah. It, it makes spiritual sense, you know, it makes humanistic sense. It's beyond control. It's beyond logic. It's beyond familiarity. Right. And yet it, it it situates us in that space of a larger awareness beyond yeah. our, ourselves. And I mean, I wrote a lot of very experimental kind of sound poetry stuff mm-hmm early on in my, my writing career, just because that's where I sort of got drawn mm-hmm. and got inspired. And and I just was so intrigued by that urge. So is that like onomatopoeia type of thing? Well, it just like, you know, I mean, out of the traditions of the surrealists and the Dadaists and, you know, where kind of anything goes, um, but yeah, I mean, it would include things like onomatopoeia and just sound as um, as primary in terms of a meaning over logical sort of making narrative sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about music, like music where you don't always hear the lyrics or you don't understand the lyrics, you're still yeah. in the harmony, right? You're still right. in the groove and there's a feeling that's being transmitted through those sounds. Well, the same thing can happen when when language is is um offered up in a in a certain way rhythmically yeah in a poem i love that so how can people use writing as a transformational practice for healing i imagine you know this is the the essence of your book right writing as a path to awakening so um how does that work on the the transformation into a healing state well, first, you just have to do it. <laughs> that seems to be the hardest part. <laughs> Actually putting the pen to paper, you know, uh-huh. or the fingers to the keys. That is an important part of any writing is doing it. <laughs> it's huge. I mean, it's the same thing with meditation, right? Like people yes. wonder, like, what is the spiritual journey and how do I get started? And blah, blah. Well, you just sit there and be quiet and, and you know, create. I mean, you know, there's there's little steps, of course. But ultimately, it's extraordinarily simple. Yeah. You know, where, you know, you're sitting and breathing and doing nothing. Yeah. Which for us busy-minded Westerners turns out to be pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and with writing, it's it's kind of the same thing. Like, it's just setting down 
what's in here, what's in the heart, what's in the mind in this moment. And most of us are so conditioned out of faith and trust in our own voice that that's where the resistance comes up. You know, it's like, oh, am I, you know, you're already judging it before it's even out. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's why when I work with people, it's, it's all about supporting them in reminding them really. I mean, it's, it's me just reminding like, no, you are a creative genius, like right now. And I don't use that word lightly. I know that's a charged word and people are going to be like, genius, (laughs) only certain people. But no, I've been teaching writing for 25 years. And when people have are, are reminded of and given space to express their truth in the moment with compassion and with kindness and openness, they write the most beautiful things. Mm. And so that opportunity is always available. And I mean, it does, oftentimes it just takes context and it takes support and, you know, like a class or whatever, but how it's healing is just, you know, however you want it to be. It's inherently healing, I think. You know, one of the examples I I think I can give is just, you know, writing my memoir was, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to heal myself and write a memoir. (laughs) That wasn't really the intention. It was more about telling the story that I had to tell, like that I really felt it in my body. And somehow I couldn't, uh, I couldn't really like a, the poems couldn't contain it in the way that I wanted to tell it, and so I I turned to narrative, and and I was always intrigued by um, memoir and 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 people navigating challenges in their lives and overcoming obstacles through the the telling of the story, and I started to see it as telling the story to let go of the story, mm. and so that act, I was like, well, I'm not going to, I don't have to send this to anybody. I don't have to share this with anybody. I can just tell my truth. Mm -hmm. This is what happened to me. And this is where I am now. And I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. And I'm going to learn like what it means to tell a good story. So I'm going to study up and I'm just going to stay with it, you know, word by word by word and Mm -hmm. see what comes. And it, and it just turned out that there's lots of great models out there, you know, people who have gone before. And, and, uh, and so it does, it turned out that it was healing, you know, and I think writing is subtly healing in its own way. Um, yeah. And, and people just need to find that, that, that path for them. Yeah. I, I think too, like if we think of like a multidimensional universe, you know, and, and the multidimensional life that we're all we're all having this life that consists of many dimensions. Mm-hmm. And so when we put like words down, you know, on our computer or on a, in a notebook, or even like some people, it's more about drawing. Um, but it like it brings it like deeper, but dimensionally, because that's a different dimension, like letters and, um, paper and pen. I mean, literally if you put pen to paper, you're putting it in the second dimension because that's two dimensional, you know, like, whereas, you know, 
I mean, you can see that with your eyes that it's, you know, it's flat and it, it literally grounds it into a different dimension. And, and so I don't have the complete picture of like what that means from a healing perspective, but it does seem to help it like move, you know, energetically Mm-hmm. through yes. our life in a different way. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. No, I mean, because um, writing is one of the most concentrated points of awareness and focus that we have as human beings. And so when you do write something, it, it becomes literally etched. You know, mm-hmm. there is a release, like you say, there's an energetic movement and there's mm-hmm. a release. And, that you know, I found that the page is infinitely compassionate right? You can, you can swear at the page. You can love the page. You can curse the page. You can cut the page and it's still going to show up for you the next day. Mm. It's still going to love you and hold you, you know, and that's kind of like the metaphor for the universe and for spirit, like spirit loves you. Spirit's cheering you on. Mm. It's our, often our minds and our attitudes toward spirit or the page or, or whatever that, is what's coloring things. Yeah. Beauty is always there, right? Love is always there. Yes. Um, yes. Genius and creativity is always, it's all around us. It's happening constantly. And we just have to kind of shift our alignment to, to get into that flow. And then we're off and running. That's beautiful. In the page is infinitely compassionate. Is that what you said? Yep. So do you, do you have some thoughts about practices that, that are useful for overcoming like compulsive and addictive behaviors? Funny you should ask. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on a collection of essays right now about, uh, I mean, it's really about identity, addiction, and spirituality. Mm. And um, so I think that you know, free writing practice is, I think, one of the most uh, beneficial uh, because we can kind of outpace our our judging mind. So what do you mean by free writing? So that's basically stream of consciousness writing where you're, okay. you're um, timing yourself. Um, there's urgency. You don't pick your pen off the page. You don't stop to question like, oh, wait, I need to put a comma there. You're just sort of like bleh, out on the... And you can do this handwriting, I think, is in some ways more interesting because it's there's a physicality to it and a direct kind of bodily transmission. But, mm-hmm. you know, you can do it on the keyboard as well mm-hmm. and or even vocally, you know, recording your voice. And um, but just going moving with urgency and with speed and with um, uh kind of enough intensity that you're really outpacing that sort of controlling mind that wants to judge and wants to stop and wants, because in the right context, what we do is, you know, we're always just kind of allowing whatever's there to, to be on the page. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter. Like you don't have to show this to anybody, right? You don't have to, it doesn't have to be good. There's no qualifiers here. Um, you can just tell the truth, the raw unadulterated truth and let her rip. And what happens is that people are most often surprised, right? They're like, Oh, that's interesting. I've never phrased something like that, or I've never really thought about my relationship to X, Y, Z in this way. 
or wow, I didn't know I had this level of rage in me or this level of love in me or this level of insight in me. And so it's a really powerful practice for, for shifting the energy around our green and our own sense of possibility. Mm. That's beautiful. I mean, I think that'd be, that's a great practice for everybody, even if you're not necessarily oh, yeah. trying to overcome. Yeah, that's great. You mentioned you're working on um, essays for identity, addiction, and um, spirituality. spirituality. So talk a little bit about the identity piece. Well, this is the big thing, right? Like when we identify, if I identify as Albert, um, with my particular story and my history and my hangups and my limitations, perceived limitations, right? Perceived um, deficiencies and blah blah blah. Then I'm I'm really limiting myself. You know, I'm 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 limiting my capacity for creativity, my capacity for relationship, my capacity for manifestation of all kinds in the world, and. So I think an identity is is cornerstone to spiritual development and awakening. Um, the more that we're able to let go of that conditioned ego, the, the more compassionate we become, the more loving we become, the more things open up and the more we're able to transcend our stories. Mm. You know, I mean, I used to think that I was, uh, you know, little wounded Albert who couldn't complete a sentence and had nothing to offer the world. You know, I was filled with such self-hatred that I was willing to drink myself to oblivion and to literally try and kill myself, to annihilate this thing that I thought of wow. as not being of use to the world. Mm. And then I started to see differently. I started to see like, oh, maybe there's something else here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's some other possibility. There's some other potential. Um, there's something, a mystery that's driving me forward. That's mm-hmm. giving me some sense of capacity and contribution and purpose. And this is just like, we're on this journey of expansion, right? And to, to be, I mean, that's my total devotion in this life. Mm-hmm. It's just like stay devoted to expansion every moment every breath mm-hmm. and the writing is all about that the the meditation practice about that the interactions with my family and my neighbors and Kara on the podcast like this is we're all waking up together right now yeah. like it's it's happening now um but to see ourselves we have to start seeing ourselves in a broader context mm-hmm. and not as these little sort of tiny identities. So in these essays, I'm really exploring these various facets of personal identity and and addiction. You know, we can be addicted to, I I heard this, I got this idea because I was um, on a retreat with Adi Ashanti, who's a spiritual teacher out here in California. And um, he said something in a, I was either on a talk or on the retreat but what I heard him say was, you can be addicted to anything. You can be a thoughtaholic, he said. And I was like, what? <laughs> a thoughtaholic. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. And 
And because I have an addictive personality, I was like, oh, I'm definitely a thoughtaholic. I love thoughts. <laughs> and I love my thoughts, right? And I love thoughts about me and my situation and my worries and my da 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 da. And so that became like, oh, this would be really interesting to explore. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I was thinking actually of naming the book, um, Hello, my name's Albert and I'm a thoughtaholic. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't know if that's going to go over well. We'll see what the, what the editors and the publishers think of that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's um, great. I love that. Well, how can people connect with you and find out more? Yeah, so I have a, a website. It's albertflindesilver.com is the best way. So my full name.com. Uh, I am on all the social media outlets. Yeah, I mean, I think we do have to be vigilant. You know, when like I'm working on various book projects right now and, you know, I want to show up for my students and my community. And, and so I have to be very conscious of what am I ingesting, yeah. you know, in terms of information. Yeah. And I want to be ingesting, you know, high vibration, high spirit, high love and kindness and generosity, because that's the catalyst that's going to change the world. You know, there's a yes. lot of just confused, junky, mean-spirited crap yeah. out there in the political culture, especially. And, you know, my devotion is to to being the antidote to that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, yeah, because we're constantly programming ourselves. Everything we take in, that's we're programming. Right. And it, it, it ultimately comes through in how we project out. What mm-hmm. we take in ends up being what we project out. So, I mean, I, I do the same, you know, I'm very conscientious about what I engage with and I encourage, I, I'm always encouraging people to like be mindful because it's, mm-hmm. it is, it's going right into your subconscious and it That's is right. programming your thoughts, your behaviors, your beliefs. Um, and so we don't, and it causes us to just be pulled along by life and to, you know, yeah. like you're talking about with the identity, you know, we don't even know who we are. We just, you know, we, we accept what we're told and, you know, draw our own conclusions from that. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, we're, we're like so much more than we could ever imagine. So, yes, we are. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed this and, um, and I, I just really appreciate the work that you're doing, um, you know, with the creative outlets and, and helping people, to be able to see these reflections of the divine, you know, in a, in these abstract ways that are, are so important. Yeah. Well, that's, it's totally beautiful and a great opportunity. Thank you so much, Kara, for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love for you to do me one quick favor, which is to think of one person who would benefit from hearing this content. Let them know you're thinking of them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.